Hello and welcome to We're Watching What? I'm your host Dana, or the DHKs I'm known, and two things up for review this week. First up is Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. I get so much trouble saying that title. And the other film is Hidden Blade, which is a new Tony Leung spy thriller. First up is Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, which is quite a mouthful to say. I always call Marvel Weeks a bye week because quite frankly, at this point, if you have already invested this much time and energy into the MCU, you're not going to skip one of the movies. And if you haven't already made your way into the MCU, you certainly aren't going to jump in with this one. So you're either seeing it or you're not based on that. Whether or not it's objectively or subjectively good is a separate story, but chances are you're going to go see this movie. So this is not a spoiler. I will say you really will want to have seen Loki and probably Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness for this to make any sort of sense, but I have not seen Loki in a while and so I was a little fuzzy on stuff and I gotta say the original Ant-Man slash the first Ant-Man is one of my favorite MCU movies I definitely gravitate towards the humor of that and I think one of the things that worked really really well was the ensemble in that one I loved Michael Pena in it you know I, I just I felt like the grounding of it in the real world while also acknowledging that we're in a superhero movie was really fun and that fact that Scott Lang is somewhat more of an everyman hero versus a, a super genius or you know somebody who's born with like ridiculous powers the fact that he is uh, technically speaking or started out as a mere mortal was something to ground to but then by the time we've gotten to Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania we are so far past those roots and it is, it's just an entirely different world. There are some touches of comedy in it. And those were the moments that I definitely enjoyed the most. But then you've also got Jonathan Majors as Kang the Conqueror, who, you know, this, again, if you've been keeping up with any of this, they have set up as the big bad of the next phase or whatever it is. And Jonathan Majors is an excellent actor. He and Paul Rudd and Evangeline Lilly and, and you know, Catherine Newton, who joined as Cassie Lang and Michelle Pfeiffer and Michael Douglas... They, they are in a different movie than Jonathan Majors is in. And sometimes even physically, like visually, I'm like, I don't think you film this on the same day or I don't think you're in the same room together just based on how the characters behave. And so I think it was a really odd choice to have this be his, I mean, Loki was sort of his introduction, but this be the big moment for him on the big screen for Kang. I didn't feel like stylistically it meshed as well as I would have liked. I, I would have imagined there are potentially other heroes, in quotes, to pair him up against that would have tonally made more sense versus this kind of goofy, you know, grounded guy. That's not to knock his performance. I just think, again, everyone was just in a different film. And, and I did actually see Jonathan Majors in another role for a movie that's coming out. I was like, oh... This is kind of the anti-hero slash villain performance I would have liked to see in Ant-Man because it felt like he was in the world that the other characters were in in that movie versus this where they're just sometimes soliloquizing at each other. It's very strange. So like I said, you're probably going to see this either way. I, I think there are things that have uh, diluted since the first one. The dynamics have become a little strained. There are still some really strong characters in it. I think Michael Douglas is very funny in this. I love getting to see Michelle Pfeiffer shine. I wish... Her character had, she simultaneously has a lot to do, but it also felt like she had nothing to do. It's, it's, it's an odd balance there. The quantum realm itself, like all that stuff felt like a Star Wars movie. In fact, there are points where I was like, I'm pretty sure that's just a recycled prop from the Star Wars warehouse or like the costuming and things like that. Like I said, I think one of my favorite things was the grounding of the real world nature of it, of being in San Francisco and all the humor and all that stuff. And so taking it so far out of that universe it didn't float my boat as much as I would have hoped. There were moments that I enjoyed. There are moments that are unsettling, not in, maybe intentionally. Modoc is in this. He's in the trailer. That's not a spoiler, but <laughs> Modoc is a. I, I'm not going to spoil it, but that was a. It was a choice. There were choices made there, and I, I have questions. But overall, I think 
if you are a fan of like the character of Ant-Man and that humor and stuff like that, this isn't going to be your favorite of these movies. This is this is a passable way to pass the time. But I don't think when we look back in however many years, we're going to go, oh, yeah, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania is my favorite Ant-Man movie or my favorite Marvel movie. It, it is a mile marker on the way to something bigger. But given the things that have been building to this something bigger, I, I am not as invested in this phase of the MCU as I thought it would be. I, I, I've also said this, that I think Kang is such a complicated storyline to do and to do well. And so having to tell it over multiple timelines with other characters and spread out so we don't, if you don't binge right before, like you forget things, it's a harder one to pull off. And I am still going to watch everything, but I'm not as excited as I was to be like, oh, you know, we have a Thanos big bad. We have a thing. I think they're trying to inject more emotional turmoil and investment in it, but I don't know if it's working yet. Again, we're early in the phase, but overall, you're still going to see it. Let's be honest. If you were going to see it, you're going to see it. So I'm going to give it a three out of five. I didn't have a bad time at it. I just didn't walk away being like, yay, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. So three out of five for me. I'm going to take a quick break and be right back. And I'm back. The other film I have this week is a World War II spy thriller starring Tony Leung. It's called Hidden Blade. And I will not lie, that is the primary reason I decided to watch this movie. Big, big fan. Unfortunately, even Tony Leung can't save the entirety of this film. I think he does a really good job in it. But there are some other things going on that I don't think work as well for the film. And it was honestly a bit of a challenge to follow along. Anytime there is a film about double crossing and spies and espionage and all that stuff, you know, you are meant to be hopefully some level of confused or at least uncertain because if you know everybody's motivation at every single point, then what's the point of the spy thrillerness of it? However, I think they made some choices that were a little challenge. So one, and I don't think this ever got explained in it, but all the characters speak either different languages or dialects and yet have absolutely no trouble understanding each other, which is possible, but it's also a story about, you know, China, the Chinese resistance against Japan, and then there are subgroups within China fighting with each other, and, you know, it's there's just a lot going on, and if you are someone who's just generically reading the subtitles anyway, you might not notice the nature of the the language differences it might just all sound the same to you which is kind of a bummer but you, you know if you are aware you'd be like why that man is speaking Japanese that man is speaking Mandarin that man speaking Cantonese like how do they all understand each other without any acknowledgement of it and there are plenty of films that sort of get away with that but this was a odd given the circumstances you know all it takes is just a little bit of explanation because they are in spycraft and so you know it just don't let us assume, though, like let, acknowledge that they speak each other's languages. Anyway, the fact that I'm getting hung up on the minor things like that is not a great sign, right? I think visually it's well done. You know, it's a it's a period piece, as I said. So the fashion seems on brand and, and all this stuff. But it doesn't matter if the story isn't compelling. And I think they also made a decision to tell it in a nonlinear fashion, which, again, works really well for some things. Given how much they are trying to confuse you in this, I think they actually generated extra confusion in a way that they were not intending to unfortunately so yeah uh, I, I want I almost want to say you know just for him for Tony Leung alone you could watch it because he does have oh he do, it, like thinking about his performance I'm like there are some really really good moments in it but unfortunately I don't think the other parts of it live up to it and as a whole it's it's a bit of a challenge you know I I certainly hope there are people out there who enjoy the entire performance but I get the sense that like specific scenes might make their way online someday and you'll be like oh that's a great monologue or that's a great whatever but as a as an entire filmic piece not the most consistent thing. So I'm going to give it a 2.5 out of 5. 
That has been it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed it, we would love it if you could leave us a rating or a review or even consider subscribing.